So this summer, as Pastor Joe uh, takes um, some vacation time, uh, Bob preached last Sunday, <coughs> excuse me, and actually I was supposed to preach last Sunday, but because of our family situation and my illness, um, Bob graciously stepped in for me last minute and did it, and so um, I was confident that this morning would work for me to be able to share with you. And uh, on a personal note, want to thank you, each of you, who have been praying for our family uh, with the home going of Gail's mom, uh, a dear sister of yours who has attended here for many, many years, uh, Thelma Harthen, on Thursday evening. Uh, she was blessed to be able to walk into the presence of uh, Jesus Christ and the Father. And I can't help but think of that third stanza of How Great Thou Art. Um, She was able to proclaim in person how great thou art. And uh, we're, as a family, we miss her, and we will miss her. And as a church, we will miss her. Um, but we know, without a doubt, uh, Thelma is with, with Christ. Um, she's with the Father. Uh, she's do- enjoying all, all that heaven has to offer for her. And uh, thank you for praying for us and helping us through that process. Her funeral is Tuesday. Uh, there's a visitation Monday evening um, at the funeral home. Uh, Tuesday here, her funeral will be. So uh, before I get started in the, the text that we're going to look at today from the word, um, I would ask you again to just bow with me uh, for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for just the uh, opportunity that we have to gather in your name. Um, You have given us a freedom in this country uh, to come and go as we wish, um, to make expression as we do on a week-by-week basis of our adoration, where we can sing songs and we can listen to your word. We are truly uh, a blessed people. I pray that we would cherish what you have given us, that we would do everything in uh, our strength to be able to be um, involved week by week in, in, in the work of building your kingdom here on earth. And part of that is um, just attending week by week and, and hearing from you and encouraging one another. And um, Lord, you're doing a, a great work. As I spoke of across the world, the other side of the world, you are bringing people into your family, and we know that that's happening here on these shores as well. And so I just ask that you would um, do as you would desire uh, within us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be free to speak to our hearts and know that that's the only way that anything of any value uh, can be communicated is if your Holy Spirit does that communicating to us. Um, and I pray just like Jeremiah prayed or, or asked that, that, only that, that I would utter only that which is precious and uh, not that, not the things that are worthless um, so that you would receive the glory and the honor due your name and that each of us would go away uh, encouraged and challenged and having been spoken um, not to 
each of us by myself, but by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the text that we're going to be looking at is found in uh, page uh, 868 in your Bibles, in the church Bibles, excuse me. Uh, Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Just a, a few verses there I would, I'd like to read and uh, then speak on those this morning. So starting in verse 8, it says, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. On the back of your worship folders, I've given a kind of a a title which is in the format of a formula and uh, an unlikely uh, result of this formula. I've got trouble. It could be trouble or tribulation plus poverty plus being slandered equals riches. Um, not on earthly terms or in earthly terms or even in human terms, something that makes sense. That would might be a description of extreme poverty uh, in, in all cases. And yet, In the text, it says, um, verse 9, it says they are rich. So what I'd like to do is just talk a little bit about the book of of Revelation. Bob filled you in on on some of it. I'd like to just share a little bit of background on it. Um, And first of all, it's, uh, it's one of the only books, and it is the only book that has its own title. In fact, in... um, Years past, the older uh, translation, sometimes they would, uh, they referred to it as, with the title, was the revelation of Jesus Christ. It just wasn't revelation. It was the revelation of Jesus Christ. And um, the word revelation means uh, apocalypsis, which means uncovering or an unveiling or disclosure. And, uh, and what it discloses is uh, Jesus Christ in glory. And also it discloses, um, you know, some, some future events, some things that are going to happen, um, some future triumphs and uh, ultimate victory um, that the rest of the Bible really only alludes to. So this book was given to the Apostle Paul by God the Father. Uh, it was communicated to him by an angel when he was in exile uh, on the island of Patmos. And... Uh, and this was about somewhere um, in the years between 90 and 95 A.D. So that would put John at approximately 85 years old uh, at the writing of the book. Considering the times and probably the expected life expectancy back in those days, he was very aged. 
And, um, and yet, when you think in terms of the fact that he had to be exiled from the mainland to an island to take him out of circulation because the Roman government felt he was a threat, is pretty incredible um, just to think that through. Um, so um, the, the churches were, even prior to John's exile, the churches were starting to feel persecution. Uh, there was a martyr that's mentioned in, in verse 13 of chapter 2 there. His name is Antipas. And um, in part of the reason for the book was, and specifically writing to these seven churches, was uh, to, to warn them uh, and to encourage them and to help them uh, to think in terms of the bigger picture and that this isn't all there is. and In other words, the persecution that they were going to face, and some of them were going to lose their lives, and yet that, that's not the end. Uh, there's Revelation, you know, uh, really deals with the afterlife and what, what we have to look forward to. And so it was a, a means of encouragement, I think, um, for those people that were going to, you know, we're, we're facing persecution, but also we're going to face greater amounts of persecution. And we know that, uh, that this took place um, under the reign of uh, Domitian, and, um, which we feel is who reigned during this time when John wrote these letters. We know that uh, under Nero's reign, there was great persecution that happened. In fact, um, one of the... Uh, one of the martyrs that was written about um, in other uh, sources is Polycarp, and he was actually from Smyrna, uh, a great example of one who would not deny his faith. What they were wanting these people to do, the, uh, the persecution arose because the emperors considered they were everything. They considered they were God, and they wanted people to worship them. And anybody that didn't worship them were to be persecuted or put to death. And in fact, the reference that's made to the Jewish people here uh, being the synagogue of the devil, those were individuals who um, scholars feel were, um, um, they were informants. They were informing the Ro Roman government of individuals who were not in compliance with what the, the edict or the rules that were coming forth. So they were, they were actually um, part of, of the you know, the process of these individuals being persecuted. Not, not, a, not a pretty picture um, and not a good thing for Jesus Christ to, to talk to them and say that they were part of Satan's work. Um, so one of the things as I was doing study for this, uh, for this talk was... Um, that crossed my mind was um, in God's, we call it uh, the covenant, or I mean the um, uh, doctrine of grace, but it's God's covenant care of his children. And um, really, uh, you know, I, I was encouraged to think, think that through in terms of how that, that fits into the book of, Re of Revelation. And really it's, it's shown as you read those uh, those um, those verses in Revelation, you see how God, in His plan, has made provision for His children uh, that will you know that will last throughout all eternity. Uh, 
this letter was, is the shortest letter. Of the seven letters that were written to the churches, uh, this letter is the shortest. And it's the only letter that doesn't have, um, it's got commendation, but not condemnation. You know, so there's nothing that the angel or that Jesus Christ is saying against them, um, which is, is unique because all the other churches had some positive things happening in their church uh, and, some, and many of them, a great number of negative things that were happening, uh, but not so with Smyrna. Um, and so uh, God's covenant care of us, having that good understanding of how God is committed to us, we see that uh, all throughout Scripture. Um, starting way back, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, back in Exodus, where um, he speaks of being our God and we will be his people. Psalm 23 uh, refers to that in a very graphic way of where the Lord is our shepherd. He's with us um, in all of our circumstances, and he will be with us through all, throughout all eternity. Um, these are, you know, these speak to God's commitment to us. And I don't know about you, but for me, um, that is, is so helpful because I know, I know how fickle I am as an individual. Keeping up my end of the bargain, um, I'm probably not, and I haven't, I haven't kept up my end of the bargain of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. But the good thing, the neat thing is that, that um, God does. He, he is perfect. He is always working toward that in every circumstance, always working toward our being righteous and our righteousness. He views us as righteous through his son, um, Jesus Christ. Um, so in my mind, that's, that's very helpful when we, we look you know, into the book of Revelation. I think also it's important when we look at the book of Revelation uh, to look at, at the big picture and really what's, what's being said there and stay away from maybe, you know, we often, in terms of um, gaining knowledge, we'll, we'll ask some questions. Who, what, when, where, how, and why, you know? Um, and so that's typically the way we, we learn. In the book of Revelation, if we get some of those out of order or we emphasize one more than the other, and a book, on, on this book, maybe the when could be a problem. And I, and I can see where the church historically has not had a problem with that question. Um, they, they haven't delved into that too deeply. Um, how The timeline of how Revelation is going to unfold has not been a, a huge issue with the church. But in the last 50 years, that's changed. And our focus has really um, kind of shifted to when you know, when these things and how they'll unfold. And, um, and I think, in a sense, we lose, we lose sight of really all that, that Revelation uh, contains if we look at just that aspect of it. And in fact, I think it can be unhealthy. Um, and I'm willing to say there's others. I'm not the only one to say that maybe the book of Revelation is the least understood and the most misinterpreted book of the Bible. And some of that is we, we go to, you know, we try to put things in there that are not in there. We try to establish timelines and so forth that maybe are not clearly stated. 
The book of Revelation is complicated. It's full of symbolism and images. And, and, and some, for some of that, we have answers. It, it actually interprets itself. But for others, we don't have answers. And in my mind, and this is my, you know, my way to approach this, it don't, don't try to put answers where you don't have answers. And so my encouragement would be to look at the book of Revelation not as a timeline, you know, and how things are going to unfold in the end, but or when, when things are going to unfold on the end, in the end, but how things will unfold. That's clearly there. And the big, th- the big picture is Jesus Christ is the victor. Um, the Trinity will be all united along with his chosen ones, us, his children, for all eternity. And that's what's so clearly uh, presented and celebrated um, in the book of Revelation. So as we move quickly through the verses that we, um, that we have before us. Uh, I just got, uh, you know, a couple of things to say. Um, first of all, verse 8, the, the beloved author that I have that um, listed on the back of the worship folder. Um, obviously, it's, it's Jesus Christ um, because in verse 8, it says the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. No one else fits that description. That's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The, the penman, as we said earlier, is the Apostle John, who, who at that time was the only remaining disciple uh, living when that book was written. The commendation from, in verse 9 is, you are poor, but you are rich. Okay, so this is something that, um, that's noteworthy. Um, they're physical state is poverty. Their spiritual state is extreme, unlimited wealth because of Jesus Christ. Just a quick note on that verse. Um, We're born into spiritual poverty, abject, extreme poverty. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're born into sin, and uh, the only way out of it is uh, through Jesus Christ, the acceptance of him as as our Savior, um, and uh, repentance of our sin. Um, But when we do that, we are born then into unlimited wealth on the spiritual side of things. We have all the riches of heaven um, availed to us because now we are children of God. And uh, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is ours to experience and ours to behold. And, uh, and Revelation speaks about his kingdom. Um, verse 10 is a warning. Do not fear uh, what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Um, There's some specifics there, and scholars don't know exactly. They can't pinpoint that on a time time frame within history that that actually took place, but we're sure that that actually did. And uh, and we know overall the church was not only in Smyrna, but the church of Jesus Christ was uh, suffering great persecution. Um, and it was just on the cusp of that when this book was ri- written. Um, think back in, in John chapter 15, 
Um, Jesus told us and told uh, his followers that they would be hated, they would be persecuted because he was hated. Because Jesus said, because I was hated, you will be hated because you are my followers, you are my children. And so we see that that that's actually what's taking place uh, and about to take place with these individuals. And then there's an exhortation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, verse 10b. So there's a, there's a great promise. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And then 11b talks about the ones who conquer will not be hurt by the second death. So this second death occurs at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and that's when, you remember back in Matthew when um, Jesus gives the parable of the sheep and the goats and he's sorting them out? That's the process here, the second death, where those who are children of God will be sent um, to live with, with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit forever in eternal bliss. Those outside of Christ that have not accepted or rejected Jesus Christ as a Savior are going to be put in eternal punishment with Satan, um, you know, throughout, for, for uh, uh, an eternal separation uh, from all that's good and right, um, Jesus Christ and God. And uh, they, those of us who are children of God have nothing to fear. We will not be hurt by that second death. So in closing, I'd like to just, uh, for us to go through... A, you know, a couple points of application. Um, I think the first thing is we need to look at riches and really uh, value what the Bible talks, speaks of when it speaks of riches, uh, that which is spiritual, that which lasts forever, not that which is temporary, or in other words, not the money or the possessions or the things that we have, uh, now, let's not quantify or define our riches that way. Let's define and, uh, define and quantify them correctly. Um, and, and if we do that, then um, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we're going to be content. Everything is going to be okay, you know, when you, when you see things correctly and, um, and live, you know, um, in a way that that the Bible instructs and encourage us, encourages us to live. Uh, no matter how desperate, these people he was talking about, them being put to death because of their faith, but it was going to all be okay uh, because of, what, of all that Christ has won for us and that our future is secure and that this life is short um, and it's, you know, it's very minimal by comparison to eternity. And yet this is the only time that we have um, to make that decision to accept Jesus Christ. After death, we can't make that decision, you know? Between the time of death and the judgment, we can't all of a sudden say, well, now I do believe in Jesus. It's too late. It has to be done here while we walk this earth. The Bible is really clearly about that, or clear about that. Uh, the second thing um, that's important is that even though we are followers of Christ, we can be unfruitful and we can be unuseful. And Bob spoke about that with the church of Laodicea last week. 
That's really where the church of Laodicea was. Uh, their um, unusefulness, which he's, he spoke in terms of water being useful, either hot water or cold water being useful. Uh, lukewarm water is not useful for healing or um, for quenching your thirst. You know, those were the two things that the Laodiceans, you know, knew. Um, and, and, you know, they had mineral water, plus they, had, they knew what, how a good fresh water was for quenching their thirst. So as followers of Christ, we, we can be poor. Um, we can keep the, the garments of this world on ourselves and taking, instead of taking the garments of Christ. And we can, we can, be, um, we can be poor, um, and that's not where God wants us uh, to be. He wants us to be rich. He wants us to be fruitful. Um, he wants us um, to abide in him, as John 15 talks about, abiding in the vine. And then fruit will, uh, will happen. There's a quote I'd like to just read you from uh, Bonhoeffer that talks about that a little bit, um, which I think is, is, is good. Fruit is always the miraculous. Fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It is never a result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only He can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as the tree knows of its fruit. Excuse me. They who bear it know as little about it as the tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of him whom their life depends. It's just an understanding of the work of God, the work of Christ in us, and how necessary that work is for us um, to be useful or fruitful. The, the uh, third application is um, to think on often and revel in God's covenant care of us. Know that he is um, perfectly uh, committed to us. He will not let us down. John fourteen twenty seven says, A peace I leave you, with my peace I give, with you my peace, excuse me, I leave you with my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. So no matter what we face, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we can have peace. We can be rich in Jesus Christ. We just have to, we have to think on that. And then live in gratitude. You know, that's the, the other thing. We're, we're spiritually impoverished in and of ourselves. But because of Christ, we are rich. And we need to live with gratitude to the one who paid that price for our adoption as children of God. So is the, is the church important? It is. It's very important to Jesus Christ. Does he know what's happening at West Classic Chapel? Yes, he does know everything about us, every little detail. Does he care about it? Deeply. It's, it's obvious when you look at the seven churches, he cares about each of them. Even those that he doesn't have much good to say about, he still cares deeply about them and he wants to shepherd them. After all, we are the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. He gave everything he could possibly give so that we could have that relationship. 
Let's bow in a word of prayer to, to close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, for your word and for your words to the church of Smyrna. Thank you for what we can learn about ourselves and, and about our church from this text. Thank you that you reveal to us your son, Jesus Christ, in his glorified and highest state, judging and ruling and reigning in victory. Thank you that you've called us to be your children and that we have nothing to fear, no hurt to anticipate. Father, we pray that we would always, as the song Christ is Enough um, expresses, uh, that we would, that Christ is enough, that our longings would only be for him and for his purposes, and that the wants of this world that so often can creep in uh, are, are, are futile and meaningless. We want to be rich like the church of Smyrna, and um, whether that involves being uh, financially poor or having means, it, it doesn't matter. We can be rich. Christ died for us to be rich children, heirs to the kingdom, heirs to the one who created everything that exists. And so I thank you for your presence here this morning and ask that you would bless each individual as they go their separate ways and do the task that you've called them to do. Help us and help all to be light and salt. Those of us who are your children, help us to revel in our position because of what Christ has done. Not so that we can be glorified, but so that Jesus Christ can be glorified and others can come to know him in a saving way. And um, meet us where we are. You know where each of us are, what struggles each of us has. You are patient. You are long-suffering. You are so loving and good. And um, I just ask that um, you would continue to grow us, uh, grow us up in our faith so that we would become more and more useful for you and for the advancement of your kingdom um, within this community and within this church. And these things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.